0: Okay, you're going to have to uh, forgive me this morning. I, I'm not very well. I'm a bit jacked up on cold and flu stuff. I drank half a bottle of Buckley's for coming here that truly is, I think, as close as you can get to possibly licking the armpit of Satan. That stuff. My daughter gave me a little cup of it, and then she stood and waited and watched. So... Um, yeah, I, I probably won't be hanging around too much later because I don't want to transfer this to you. Um, but I, uh, I, I am excited to preach. And I'm sorry that video didn't show Brad and Colleen. Welcome back, Brad. Come back from India. And um, yeah, it's good to see you. You came, you arrived yesterday. So, and, uh, and Stephen and Lisa, welcome back. From your trip as well. It's good to see you. So Fazzle Socks are going to be sold next week. We'll show the video next week for sure. I'm not sure what happened. But it's an amazing uh, ministry. And just so you know, uh, I, I love this new way of uh, creatively raising funds for missions. Uh, I'm sure many of you grew up in a church where you would have the, uh, the missionary come in their pith helmet and their safari suit. And stand there and show pictures of them doing safaris and missions, and we'd give money, and, and you know, I'm exaggerating because I just remember that as a teenager, thinking, wow, I, I, I don't really know what's going on there, but what I love about Fazzle Socks is this is a kingdom business that's money is going to not only to the ch- child of mine homes, but giving jobs to ladies in India to actually produce the socks. That, for me, is just a phenomenal cutting edge way of raising money for missions. And so we can support that by buying a beautiful pair of socks uh, next week. So bring your cash and know that it's going to uh, a wonderful cause. Uh, Mike and Vanessa Gunn gone out there just doing a great job bringing leadership to this and we love that. So please uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 while I just give a very quick recap as to where we are at in our series on worship. We talked last week about how we are in a culture of change and wherever we go, we are constantly reminded that we are quite, not quite where we ought to be, whether it be the shape of our bodies or the lifestyle that we have or the way that we parent, magazines, videos, uh, movies, constantly telling us that we somehow need to improve. And, and, I, uh, and I said that God asks us an ultimate question in His Scriptures Uh, that really defines how that transformation and change is going to happen. Because Christianity is all about transformation. An initial coming to know Jesus and then uh, steadily becoming more like Him, uh, which we call sanctification in our life, and then ultimately becoming like Him when we meet Him. And, And God wants to transform us. But I ask the question, how does this transformation actually occur? How do we as a church and how do we as a culture... How do we see this change happen? And so I talked about Descartes, and Descartes, the philosopher, said, I think, therefore I am. And, and we have this idea that if we can just change our thinking, then our lives will change. The positive mental attitude and, that, uh, and, and really the, the way that our church is set up often is this discipleship idea that if we can just give you more information, then this information will emerge out of our lives and, and slowly but steadily transformers and and there is a good thing about finding knowledge and understanding that we need to fill our minds with good things and the scripture talks about that but the challenge that i have as i studied this is that change doesn't seem to happen through thinking the reason i know that is because i know the right thing to do but i still do the wrong thing i have a lot of knowledge most of it is completely useless But I have some good stuff rattling around in there. And I know what I should and should not do. I know how I should act. I know how I should be and what I should say and not say and how I should think and how I should respond in life, the type of person I need to be. I know. I even can tell you how you get there. But at the end of the day, I still struggle. So how do we create this, this transference, there's a bit of a void between what we know to be the right thing and what we actually do in our day-to-day lives. And so Jesus asks this question right at the beginning of John. It's actually the first kind of red letter in John. Uh, he asks the question, what is it you want? He's being followed and this says, what do you want in chapter 1 of John? And that is a very, very important question to ask. It's not who Are you? What do you do? What do you think? What do you even believe? He says, what do you want? And that is a profound question to ask. And as I said last week, and I encourage you to listen to the message, and I appreciate those of you who who uh, connected with me this week and said it created some good conversations and and some good journal time. That's brilliant. But I asked the question, what is it you really want? What is your deepest desire? Because the reality is as parents and as employers and as friends and as brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and children and whatever relationship we have and whatever relationship we love, who we are is shown more by what we want rather than what we say. It emerges, who we really are emerges through what we really want. In fact, I went as far as saying, and I believe some of this is going to appear on the screen behind me, we are pulled by what we desire, not pushed by what we think. Our desires pull us in a direction that our thoughts often go, no, we need to go this way, because if I said to you, uh, um, what is it that you want, and you gave me the Christian answer, then you'd say, well, I want more of Jesus, because you know the old joke about the little boy? This is an old joke. Little boy in Sunday school, and his Sunday school teacher says to him, what's, what's uh, in Sunday school? He says, what's, what's brown, and it's got a bushy tail, and collects nuts in the summer, ready for the winter, and lives in the trees? And the little boy sat there going, wow. He says, I know the answer's Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a squirrel. And in many ways we're like that with what we want We know what we should want We want Jesus, we want more church We want community group, we want a tithe That's what we want, right? No, not really What do you really want? And is that in alignment with what God wants? Because we've been created not as thinking creatures. We've been created as lovers, as desiring people. We chase after things. So is what you are chasing after and what your family is chasing after. And as parents, what we are setting the example to our children. And as leaders, our example to our, our workforce or people who we're connected to. Are we setting the example that we're chasing after the right desire? Or are we just saying all the right stuff, but our lives actually negating it because it bubbles up? So... The first question I want to ask this morning, just before we head into Matthew chapter 7, is this. What do you want? That's how I left you last week. What do you want? What do you deeply desire? Let me put it this way. Let me frame it in this way. And I have an image, I think. uh, Hopefully, is that image there, Norm? Picture of a castle, kingdom? No. Okay. Okay, well... uh, Well, amen, and uh, praise God. Have a great week, because no, I'll carry on. I don't know what notes we have back there, but apparently they're not mine. Maybe they're Phil's. So let let me put it this way. What do you really want, number one? We all have a kingdom that we are moving towards. We all have a goal. Bible talks it in terms of an idol or a god. We have an end destination. And this end destination, this kingdom is what our hearts are oriented to. And we believe if we can get to this place, whatever that might look like, that somehow we will be happy, we will be fulfilled. There's a Greek word called telos. The philosophers use to frame the idea of our deepest desires. What is our telos, our goal, our heading, our craving? Where do we believe true happiness is going to be found? Where do we believe that we're going to truly flourish? Where all the stars will align somehow, that we think this is where I belong. What does that kingdom look like? What is it we are worshipping? What is that idea, that goal that we think if we can get this telos, we will thrive. Because the reality is, is that we all worship something. We all have a kingdom. We all have a goal. We all have a telos. That's why I said last week, it was a throwaway comment, but I believe to be true. There are no such things as atheists, because everybody has a God. Everybody has a belief system. Everyone believes more deeper than that. They have this idea of if life could be this, then I will flourish. It's our telos, our kingdom, our deep wants. So it's deeper than happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. And in one sense, that is true, absolutely. But what is the mechanism by which that happiness is going to come into our life? What does that look like? What do you truly want? And this is a very important question to ask because what you want, what you desire will emerge out of your life but also will shape you. It will change you. It will cause you to make decisions in a certain direction. And it's a very difficult question to answer. It takes a lot of introspective self-examination. It also takes somebody who loves us enough to come alongside us and go, hey, here's what I'm seeing. That's why community is so important. Christians in isolation, that's not what we've been created to be. We've been created to be in community because this process of finding out what we really want actually comes from community as well as hearing directly from the Lord. But we all have a kingdom, a goal, an idol. We all worship something and it shapes us. So number two, in faith, (laughs) I have a telos that my notes will appear. And it's not Norm, by the way, because I know Norm, you're doing a great job. Number two, why is this the ultimate question? Why is it that what do we want, why is that such an important question? Why can't we just get on with life and really just ignore and just kind of chase after our dreams? Because our culture loves that terminology. You can be whatever you want to be. Just chase after your dream. Don't let anybody push you down. And, and you can almost, this sounds like a, like an, oh, an awards accepted speech from Hollywood, doesn't it? You know, you can just, you know, to all the naysayers, you just ignore them. You just keep on going. You can do this. What is your dream? Chase after it. Well, actually, it's a good question to ask. What is your dream? Because your dream will change you. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says this. Guard your heart from, from your heart issues the spring or flows the spring of life. Your life gets dictated to you. Act out your desires, not your knowledge. Your desires change you. Your desires shape you. Your desires make you make the decisions that you do. Your desires, parents, please listen. I'm going to be pressing into parenting. Your deepest desires shape your children. They influence your loved ones. We must, as Christians, make sure that we're in a state of mind where we are continually seeking after the Lord to make sure that our heart is aligned with His heart. Because from it springs life. We act out our desires, not out of knowledge. Whatever we set as ultimate, whatever we set as God, whatever we set as our deepest tell us our deepest desire, must be worthy of the role we're giving it. Let me explain that. Whatever we have as God, whatever we worship, whatever our idol is, We must ensure that that which we are chasing after is worthy of the role of being God to you. There's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone has a God. Is your God worthy of its role? Because the reality is this. Unless your God brings you freedom and joy and forgiveness in your darkest moments, unless your God is set and solid and unshakable, then it is not worthy of the role it will fall, and you with it. You see, I, I, I've been doing some reading about, and, I, and I'm, I would not say that I'm a counselor by any means, but I enjoy reading um, and, and learning. And, and it seems to me, even as far back as Augustine, that, the, that the, our deepest challenges, our, our hardest moments, our, our struggles in life seem to be linked to that which we have made an idol. Let me give you an example. Let's say your telos, and this is very pertinent to our culture, that your telos is your health and the way you look. I say that is your goal, that is your, that is your aim, that is your kingdom, that you want to be as healthy and as good looking as you can be. You have to have that six pack or eight pack or ten pack or one keg, whatever it might look like. You've got to have this certain look and you've got to have this hair and you've got to have this, this certain complexion and, and these biceps and these triceps and these knees and, and you've, got to have, you've got to eat kale All the time, and and you just gotta, you know, and it's and you have this idea, this is your telos, your life is oriented to it. Your number one priority is your health and your family's health. This is your God, this is where health and happiness is found in health and fitness, and then you get sick. Where does your telos leave you? Because I've been pastor long enough to know that it doesn't matter how much spinach you eat. People get sick and they die at all sorts of ages. Is that your telos? Because your telos, your, your desire dictates your life, but also it needs to be worthy of its role. Your telos could be your kids. And then one day they will let you down or they'll do something or you will smother them so much with everything you think that they need that they'll actually turn against you when you stop. They'll let you down. If your us is your children and your children let you down, then where does it leave you? If your telos is your business, if your telos is your uh, interest, if your telos is your, is your money, if your telos is anything outside of God himself, then I promise you that if you lose your job or if you lose your TFSA savings or if you lose your livelihood, you get made redundant or if if any of these things happen and life slams into you, if your telos is not solid, if your telos is not the one that you were created for, then it will let you down. It will leave you in shambles. Matthew chapter 7 says this in verse 24. This is Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Think, Telos, kingdom, house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We know that scripture, don't we? Oh man, we can, you know, we can, we can uh, probably even say it from memory. It's a classic, Matthew chapter seven. What is your house built on? We know what house we should be building. But do we live out that that is our deepest desire? Because Jesus doesn't say that the man who knows that his house should be on the rock, that when the winds come and the storms come, nothing will beat that house down. He actually says there's action that he who built his house will stand. See, he follows through what he knows with purposeful action, purposeful decision, practical aspects of his life. He follows through with it. So here's my challenge as I'm reading this. I'm going, man, do I know this but not actually do it? If our ultimate wants and desires, our idols shape, influence, and change us, then the next question has to be this. Where do those wants come from so that we can bring change to them where where do these desires come from how are they formed well, philosophers and theologians alike would agree that, generally speaking, when it comes to how we live and what our goals and directions are, they come in two ways. First of all, it comes from imitation, that when we're surrounded by people who are, have a certain direction in life and we spend a lot of time with that person, then slowly it kind of gets transformed into our heart and we follow after them. And the Bible would agree with that, which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate him. You surround yourself. What, what's the old saying that uh, bad company corrupts good character? What do we tell our children? You know, just don't, don't hang out with that one. Because, you know, you, you get... So, so we, we know this to be the truth. But again, parents, please listen. Your children will imitate you. Your goals, your desires, your direction, your telos, your God, your idol is most likely to become theirs. Because regardless of what you say, if by your own actions, your building, if you like, is contrary to what you say. So if you say, Jesus is Lord of this house, and yet your habits and your activity do not actually back that up, then they're going to see a disjoint and they're going to imitate you. That's really sobering. It's really sobering for those who are surrounded by non-Christians or people who you want to influence for Christ. You want to make sure that, that you let me say this delicately but truthfully, that you are um, worthy of imitation. That your disciples are actually disciples of Jesus. So first, by imitation. Secondly, by practice. There is a a huge amount of study that has gone into the power of the rhythms, practices, and habits that we have. That actually shape the direction that we go in. So you've got imitation, then you've got practices. You know, you're going to hear me a lot over the next few weeks talk about habits and practices and rhythms that we have in our life. Because if you actually think on a practical level, the, what we do day in, day out, actually does shape our thinking. It does shape our desires. It shapes our direction. And our culture is filled with practices that shape us and present a good life, don't they? That's what marketers do. They present this good life, this kingdom, this tell us, and say, you know, you really ought to be there. And in order to get there, this is what you need to do. These are the habits and practices and possessions that you need in order to get there. And so marketers know this. They don't just want to change your thinking, they want to change your practices. Because habits teach us to love the wrong things. In our culture, our habits that we have adopted and taken on as Christians are actually teaching us the way of our culture, not the way of our Lord. And I'm going to show you in a second how that is the case. But the habits that we take part in not only are something that we do, but they do something to us. Now we know this to be the case because I'm sure many of you have had, if not all of you have had the experience where you've done something repetitively, even within the 24 hours, that when you go to bed that night, that's what you dream about and that's what you think about. You know, Maybe if you're sat in front of a PlayStation and you're just playing that certain game for eight hours, when you close your eyes, that's what you see, that's what you think about and then your desires start to change because I just got to level up. I, I, I got it. That's my desire. That's my telos. That's, that's going to help me thrive. Maybe it's a work practice that you do often enough, habitually, eventually it starts changing your desires and starts changing your future, your kingdom. So we have this amazing thing in the city that proves my point so beautifully. It's the biggest temple in this city. It's the biggest church by far. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people go on a weekly basis, every week. And they are presented with this idea of a good life and worshippers flock. And that church is called the mall, spelt H-E-L-L. The mall. You walk around and you are faced with imagery that says you are not good enough. You could be just like this. This is the good life you really want. That you come in and you're even, if you actually start looking at the more like a church, there's the welcome desk. There's the place where you can figure out where to send your kids (laughs) or where you want to go. And we walk around, we habitually look to possessions and stuff, believing that somehow this is going to get us the good life. And then we find that when we get the stuff slowly, it actually becomes something that actually isn't as exciting as we thought. We need more stuff in order to get that good life. And and so it goes. And you can look at cell phones, the the habit of going on a cell phone for a young person, and even even some of us older ones, that actually changes the way that we think, the way that we see life discontentment increases. So our habits and our rituals and our practices actually shape what we want. We're being trained all the time and we must as Christians start opening our eyes. Parents, we have to open the eyes. Open our eyes to see what habits, routines and practices that we are doing in our household every day that are training our children towards a certain telos that is anti-Christian, never mind not godly. Oh, well, that's fine. No, it's not fine because what we're doing is we're allowing habits to infiltrate their thinking and from their thinking it changes their hearts and their desires get twisted and changed. And before you know it, they have the tell us that you were hoping they would never have. Now, if you, if you belittle this and go, oh, well, it's not as important as that. Actually, any of you who have got older children will know that is true. What tribe are we creating for our children and our families and it's not just for parents. It can, it can work for uh, being in business or friends or, or even as, as husbands and wives. What habits and practices are we taking part in that are shaping us? And is it shaping us towards the telos, the goal, the kingdom that Christ has for us? Or is it shaping us towards another good life that we have been told that is where we will thrive? It's a great conversation to have. So when you actually become cognizant of what you do on a regular basis, even down to the individual apps that you open on your phone, even down, it is amazingly powerful. And psychologists and philosophers and theologians all agree. Guard your heart, the scripture says. So here are some questions. If we all have a telos, and that telos directs us, and molds us and shapes us, then we must examine ourselves very carefully and perhaps by answering these three questions. First of all, number one, what are the habits I've given myself to? Now, by the way, before I just expound this a little bit, I need, you to, I need to tell you... My throat's really sore. I need to tell you that the telos, the good life, the kingdom, the desires, the wants that we have generally speaking, are not bad. They're not evil. Depending on the day you choose and depending on your children, you might actually disagree. Actually, I don't know, they can be pretty dang evil sometimes. But they're not bad. I'm not saying it's bad to have children. I'm not saying it's bad to go to the mall. I'm not saying it's bad to have desires for your business or money. But when they become ultimate, When they start dictating, when your habits and practices reinforce that, what is it you've given yourself to? Number two, how are these habits and practices shaping our loved ones? As a dad who has now got a 23-year-old down to a 12-year-old, time just flies. It's unbelievable how quick your time to actually beautifully and gently in a godly way direct your children towards the telos the creator not the created is so limited we need to look at our habits and practices and carefully examine them so what are the habits i've given myself to how are they shaping my loved ones and third what kind of person do they want me to become That's a powerful question. What kind of person do our habits and routines and practices want us to become? What's to tell us? What do I look like if I get there? So what do we do about it? Well, as I've said a number of times, you can't think your way different. One of the mottos in Alcoholics Anonymous is, your best thinking got you here. So we can't think our way different, because I know how to build my house, but do I build my house? So we need, if it's habits and, and practices and rhythms of life that shape our desires and reinforce them and, and push us towards them, then the good news is this. We can introduce habit, sorry, desire-shaping habits into our life to counter the cultural ones. That makes sense. We could start introducing countercultural practices into our lives that actually draw us towards Jesus rather than away from him. And this is why the Bible is filled, literally filled with scriptures that tell us to do this and not do that. You see, God didn't come with a set of rules to beat us over the head with just so that he could be some capricious, mean-minded, overbearing God to make our life principle. Uh, miserable far from it he actually comes with his teachings with his scripture and says look here are the practices rhythms and, and habits that you can have in your life because ultimately it will align you with what you were created for and this is the best thing for you and so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at parenting, we're going to look at money, we're going to look at, uh, at, at, um, at power and, and different things, different cultural teloses that we're told are, are actually the most important. We're going, to go, we're going to look at them through the lens of, okay, there's nothing wrong with those, but how, how am I, what are my habits like towards that? And are they actually reinforcing what I say I believe in? This is why this this series can be incredibly powerful because the scriptures are filled with practices that God lovingly and mercifully has given to us and says, go, do, enjoy. This will change you. You You'll actually get heaven on earth. My will will be done. It won't matter what comes against you. It won't matter what happens at work. It won't matter what happens in your money. It won't matter what happens in your health. You can leave your kids with me because when the winds come, and they will come, you will be strong because we are building practices, habits, and, and rhythms into our lives that actually reinforce the story that has been given to us. So some of the really, some, some people in the room might be going, so are you saying then that, that my, my salvation, my faith is based on what I do? No. That's a whole other team. Not this team. This team says this. This team says Jesus Christ has done everything that you need in order to be given the spirit and the power of God that is resident in your life so that it enables you to live out the good life each day. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, not work for your salvation in fear and trembling. So this is how we actually get transformed. By first of all examining what is it that we are desiring. In Colossians 3, I haven't got time to read it all this morning, but in Colossians 3, it talks about, please read this later, it talks about putting off the things that are not good for us and putting on those things that are godly. And he frames it within worship, the peace of Christ, ruling, let the peace of God. Rule in your life. Put on these things. Put off those things. So the putting off is us as Christians examining our lives and saying, okay, what are the habits, practices, rhythms? The old-fashioned word is liturgies. Ooh, I like that. What are the liturgies that we are taking part in in our everyday life that are telling us a good life is outside of Christ? And what are they making you become? I've said this many times in this pulpit. We do not drift towards godliness. We drift towards ungodliness. We do not drift towards godliness. God and his wonderful servants in the scriptures share with us, this is how your life ought to be. Walk worthy of the calling I have given you. This is great news for me as somebody who struggles with, with, with stuff, and, and maybe you're the same, and maybe you're not, in which case you need to tell me how you do it. But there's this day-by-day, day, Romans chapter 7, Paul's struggle. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. And, and man, who's going to release me from this, this body of death, he says. And then he says, praise be to God. See, Christianity has the answer, not the magazine in Savon that tells you your best life now. Oh no, that's not a magazine. That's, a, that's um, the prosperity preacher. Where did that come from? Don't read that. Read the Bible. But we're presented with you're not good enough. All the time. You're not good enough because you don't drive that car. That's where your good life is found. You're not good enough because you don't have that bank account. That's where your good life is found. Do this, do this, do this, and you'll get there. Well, you've not got that body. That's where your good life is found. Or you haven't got the right kind of kids. That's where your good life is found. And we're constantly told and we fill up with guilt and shame. And then this is what our culture does. And I'm going to finish with this. This is what our culture does. It brings you right to the edge and says, right, you need to change because your life sucks compared to all this and then he leaves you there you got nothing well buy this magazine buy this book get into more debt buy more stuff give your kids more activities so you just become taxi mum and taxi dad so you're not actually spending quality time with them you're just giving them stuff to do because they will be the next David Beckham and they just leave you there Christianity doesn't Christianity fills the void Christianity actually brings transformation. That's what Christianity is all about. If it's not about transformation, it is nothing. It's a really sucky society and club to be part of. But it's not. It's so much more. It's transformational, life-changing, heart-orienting, desire-shaping life. And it starts with us having this incredibly powerful opportunity to come before him and have the Holy Spirit whisper to us. I think that habit is shaping a desire that ultimately could kill you. Could kill your marriage. Could kill your future marriage. Let's do something about that. And you get whispered. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. And then conviction comes. Conviction is good. Conviction is when you know that there's something not in alignment with God's best for you. Conviction is when your life is oriented towards a telos that does not equal God's telos for you. And then we have, and this is where transformation begins, confession. This is why as Christians, we are continually, we should be living a life of confession every day. Every day, confessing, bringing to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry I responded in that way. My, my kingdom is not my kingdom right now is not in alignment with your kingdom Lord forgive me Holy Spirit help me change me so what is it that I, I want to encourage you to do this week I think we can start today by asking the Lord to open our eyes to our habits I, uh, you can call it a liturgical audit Really, tomorrow morning, even today, just open your eyes and look at what you do habitually throughout the day, every day this week. Just look at what your natural rhythms are. Not the ones you want to be. You know, don't, so if you're not spending time reading the Bible and praying every day, don't write that down. Don't kid yourself. It's not like God can't see. Okay? Put down what your natural habits, rhythms, practices are every day. This is a great process to go through. And then actually ask yourself and you can write it down if you are I'm a big journaler, I love to journal, and maybe that's not you know, you can spray paint it, I don't care, whatever it is that that brings you life, but go through analysis, okay, is this habit drawing me towards Jesus or away from Jesus? What kind of person is this habit making me become? How is this influencing my children? How is this influencing my friends? Is this habit in alignment with God's kingdom, or a kingdom that has been slowly built up from my culture? As a church, we have to be countercultural. This place ought to be different. And for anybody who leaves because we are not, we are not, uh, we haven't got the very best and latest, then, then that, that's a shame because. We do things well, we try and do things well, but at the same time, this needs to be different from our culture. It needs to be an oasis, a place which is safe and good and godly. So open our eyes to our habits. Do a liturgical audit. How are we being trained? Then we bring it to the Lord and we confess it. We confess it. God, I'm so glad that I can come to you. And I can ask for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross and took the punishment for these sins. That you've given me new life. You can just have this beautiful conversation with God. And then, this is where the fun begins over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what habits should we be putting into our lives. What do the new habits look like? When it comes to our money, what does the new habit look like? When it comes to our parenting, new habit, our relationships, what's the new habit look like? Where does this fit in? Where does church fit in? That's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. So we need to recognize our culture and put them off, as Colossians 3 says. And we need to recognize what God has given us lovingly and beautifully into our lives and put those on. And this heart recalibration starts happening. And can I tell you, and we talked about this in my community group a few weeks ago, some of the habits um, are really hard. So simple and yet so difficult. Like the habit of reading the scriptures every day. I mean, if you followed a basic Bible reading plan, I'm gonna guess it maybe takes you 15, 20 minutes. Even if it took half an hour We have lots of them in a day, but the time set aside—I feel like I'm 13. My voice is breaking. Do you hear that? The time set aside—the time we set aside in the scriptures. Sometimes, when you when you find yourself in Leviticus or Numbers, or say, "Oh, dear Lord," (laughs) my wife's just finished reading Numbers, and she thought it was the best thing ever. I need to talk to her. It's a discipline. But can I tell you, over time, habitually, as part of your rhythm, you make this part of your life, it will radically change and recalibrate your heart. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, and you feel like culture's brought you here, and you don't know what the next step is, that you know that there needs to be a change, that you know that you've got habits and things going on in your life that are ultimately leading you in a direction, that ultimately the scriptures say will lead to death. Some habits lead to a present day death inside, Romans 1 says, as well as a future death. Wow. You only need to look at people's faces to see that that's happening. The light's gone off. And you, and you feel, Lord, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've read every self-help book. I've joined this, I've gone there, I've done this, I've done that, and it's not working, and I'm saying, amen, it will never work, because you need a change of heart. And that change of heart only comes as we come to Jesus and submit to him and recognize that his death on the cross, that he took the punishment that we deserve. We don't like the idea of punishment unless it's for somebody else. Everybody else, yes, they should get their just desserts. Deserves. But me, no. Because I didn't mean to do that. Whereas God is a loving God, he's a just God. In fact, they're both connected. Because a just judge is not loving if he just lets everybody off. There has to be punishment for the sins that we have willingly committed. But the good news is, is Jesus comes into the courtroom and says, I'll take the punishment instead of Glenn. I'll take the punishment instead of Adam. I'll take the punishment. Kill me. Take me. Because truly, our sin is so despicable to God. And we know what we've done. But deep down inside, we know that death actually is just. Jesus died on the cross, and the sin and the shame and the guilt died with him. And then he gives us newness of life. And then he says, okay, let's recalibrate. Let's transform. Let's look at your life and say that doesn't belong this does let's have less of that more of this it doesn't leave you hanging that is good news we are a church that believes our vision is to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley so over the next few weeks I really hope you'll come back and you'll listen and and you'll actually pick up some really good practical teaching based on the idea of what is it that you really want Let's pray.